Well, Happy New Year and welcome today. We are excited about so many of the great things that God is doing in our midst and in our lives. And I just want to remind you as you're uh, with us this morning, if you walked in and you noticed this wall that is directly behind our center section in the lobby, you notice that there's all these squiggly lines all over that wall and there's a counter in the middle of that. And those squiggly lines, uh, that's the map of our city. And, and we did that on purpose and we named that our gospel engagement wall on purpose because we really want to reach our city with the gospel. And if you've been keeping up with that, we're inching ever closer to our goal of 50,000. Now, that number resets when the year is up, and we started that in the very end of January. So we have a few weeks left, and I just want to remind us all to be on mission in the coming weeks, inviting people to be part of our church, inviting people to know Christ, praying for our coworkers. Anytime we engage someone with the gospel, where we speak the name of Jesus, that's a win for the kingdom of God. And we want to keep up with that because we believe that every time we do that, we're scattering the seed of the gospel. And so I want to just keep that in front of you as we get started. Today, we're starting a brand new series called A Fresh Start. And it seems kind of appropriate for us because we're in the midst of uh, the new year. And I don't know what it is about the new year that makes us think that it's a good time for resolutions. I mean, what's different about December 3rd or April 22nd if you want to start a diet? I mean, any one day is just as good as the other, right? But something clicks in our minds, doesn't it, about... Yeah, I'm going to learn a new skill this year. I really want to do this this year. I, I really want to be better at this this year. And it feels like that as we get into a new year, it's the perfect time of year for us to turn over a new leaf and be able to do something that's a little bit different. And so as we do that, I want us to consider a couple of things about that. You know, the, we, when we think about what it means to have a New Year's resolution, we may not be familiar where the origin of that actually comes from. And it actually comes from a group of people called the Babylonians uh, in ancient times. And they used to believe that New Year's was a time for them to appease their gods. And what they would do is they would make sacrifices and do things and try to pay back their gods for things uh, that they had taken or had misused and things like that. And, and maybe right now you find yourself thinking about New Year's not as a time to make restitution to a deity, a deity but really a time for you to have one more chance to get something right. And I think that's what's refreshing about the new year is it does feel like a fresh start. It does feel like there's an end of something. And, and if you read the Bible, one of the most fascinating verses to me is found in the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon, the wisest man they say that ever lived, said the end of a matter is better than the beginning. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. That there's something nice about tying a bow on something and calling it done, right? That, that we can look at it and say, that's good. The hard work is accomplished and we've done it. And I've got some good news for you. You can actually have a fresh start and you don't have to repay an angry deity for things that you have taken from him or misused. God doesn't operate that way. Instead, God finds us where we are and he looks at us and he looks for us in the middle of the mess that we've made. In fact, the scripture says that God is looking for that person. So if you find yourself in the middle of a little bit of a mess this morning, I want you to know that the scripture says that God is looking for you. He's not looking to go away from you. He's looking for you. He's looking for me in that way. And I think what's even more amazing is that the Bible describes the Lord as a very present help in a time of trouble. So if we find ourselves in the midst of a difficult situation or we find ourselves having let someone down or we find ourselves having really blown it this year, 
we can know that God is a very present help in our time of trouble. And even more amazing to me is that God can take those past failures and somehow he turns them into something that he can use. Now to be sure, God doesn't just gloss over sin. It's not that he's unconcerned with it, but God takes our failures and he can use that and weave those things into our stories and he can make all things new because that's what the scripture says that he does. He can make all things new. He can take the worst days of your life and use them for his purposes. And I want us to take some time this morning to really think about the year ahead. I want us to be thinking about what it might be like for God to allow us to take our next step in following Jesus. What would it look like if we could have confidence that God is ready and waiting for us to start our day today as his, uh, as his plan for the world unfolds? He's waiting for us to do that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Old Testament book of Lamentations. It's not a book that you may be familiar with. Uh, it's probably not a book that a lot of people turn to for light reading, but it's a very important book in the Old Testament. If you find the book of Psalms in the middle of your Bible, take a right-hand turn, and you'll get over maybe to uh, the prophet Jeremiah, and he's right after the book of Jeremiah is the book of Lamentations. In fact, Jeremiah the prophet is credited with writing this book as well as the book that bears his name. And as he was writing, Jeremiah was given a pretty uh, unpopular message. Jeremiah was given the message that God was about to do something called chasten. He was going to judge the nation of Israel. He was going to bring down some pretty harsh consequences on them. And Jeremiah doesn't have a popular message, but he does have a very clear message. And this wasn't the first warning that God had given his people. This wasn't as if God just woke up one day and said, well, here's what it is. You messed up and now I'm going to give it to you. He had sent prophet after prophet and they had had time after time to repent and do the right thing. And no matter how many times God had sent his prophets to them or they had heard the word of the Lord, they were uninterested in following the Lord. And so God led Jeremiah to write this. And all of us can be sure of the same thing this morning. God will not allow us to continue to live in sin. He just won't do it. He loves you too much to allow you to do that. And he will chasten you and he'll chasten me so that we can know that we're out of his perfect will. And so Jeremiah's book of Lamentations is actually a collection of poems describing the misery the people of God were living under. So let's begin in chapter 3 and verse 19 of the book of Lamentations. Lamentations three, nineteen. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses, that's a big word, indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So what was so bad that would cause Jeremiah to write a book called Lamentations or Laments? Well, it was basically that he's writing a funeral dirge for the city that he loved, if you can imagine it like that. In 586, the Babylonians, 586 BC, the Babylonians came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, God's city, the city of David, the place where God's spirit rested in the temple. Their homes were burned. Men, women, and children were killed indiscriminately. The line of the king of David, the monarchy that was supposed to endure forever, was broken and taken off into exile. People were taken as slaves. Uh, and, and maybe the worst indignity of all was that the very temple of God, the place where God's spirit rested, was burned to the ground. The ark of the Lord was gone. I don't know if you've watched Indiana Jones lately. My son and I were kind of watching that a little bit yesterday. Totally fictional. I just, Totally fictional, 
if you didn't know, right? But what were people looking for? The ark was gone missing, right? That part was true. It was gone. What did the ark contain? Do you remember that the ark had the tablets of the law in it? It had some manna placed in it. I mean, some incredible things gone. All the silver and the gold that had been apportioned for the temple, gone. It's over. The very seat of, of God's power in their lives was gone. Can you imagine if the very thing that you looked to in your life was literally burned to the ground and it didn't exist anymore. That's exactly what was going on. Everything they had ever known was ruined and the very center of their culture was destroyed. Well, why had all this happened? What was the purpose of all this? What would be so egregious that would allow the God of this people to allow a foreign army to come in and do this to his people? Well, it had been that God's chosen people had chosen other gods. They weren't interested in following the one true God. He was never enough for them. They always wanted to follow after the foreign gods of the people around them. They'd refused to repent time and time again when they'd been warned by the prophets, and they had walked defiantly into their own mess. Defiantly. Never listening to the caution that had been given. And as one writer said, the God who had once fought their battles now said it was too late. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of sitting in your own mess. The catastrophic consequences of the decisions that you've made, where you've looked around and just really began to understood that what you have done has led you to this place. It can be a humbling experience, but it can also be a very horrifying experience. To find yourself sitting in the ruins of a life that had been built, that you have torn apart. I mean, it's one of the worst feelings that we can ever have. And, and I think one of the things that we often do is, is sometimes we don't see the road that led down to our ruin. We, we're, we're not able to see it clearly. Sometimes we didn't see that starting down on this path was going to do that. We, we can look back on it and we felt like it was innocent enough. I mean, it was just one party. I mean, it's just one party. I never intended to be an alcoholic. It was just one party. Never thought that was going to be me. I never thought that when I stole this little bit, I, I thought I'd be able to pay it back and that the company wouldn't know. I, I never thought that my family would end up in shambles because of the decision that I was made. You, you started off innocently enough, right? We do that sometimes, don't we? It doesn't feel like we're stepping off into ruin, but that's exactly what had happened here. On the other hand, it may be that we walked defiantly into the mess, God had spoken to us through someone. He'd spoken to us through a pastor or through his word or a friend. And people were saying, you, you can't keep doing this. And yet we said, well, I don't care what anyone says. I'm going for it. It doesn't matter. I don't care about pleasing God. I'm going to please myself. Because that's better for me right now. We turned our hearts away and went our own way. Even though we knew better, we acted as if we knew better than God. Man, when that happens in our lives, it's so painful. And I know exactly what that feels like. I know what it's like to walk off defiantly when God says, don't do this. And you say, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. I know what it's like to, to have relationships broken because of the decisions that I've made. I know what it's like to have my family hurt. I know what it's like for people to bear the scars of the decisions that I've made because I walked defiantly into a future that God said wasn't for me, but I said it didn't matter. I was going to do it anyway. 
And the heartache that comes with that is hard to describe. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. When we fight God and his plan, we always lose. You can't win. And I would just need to stop for just a moment because maybe you're at that crossroad right now. Maybe this morning is the Sunday that you've come to church and it really hangs in the balance for you. You know that God's been speaking to you about some things. You know that for you to keep going down this path, you're stiffening your neck and stiffening your back and you're going to walk and do what you want to do and defiantly pursue that. But I just want to tell you, you'll never win. You'll never win. Sin always makes the believer lose. You'll always lose. You can't kick against God's plan and win. It eventually catches up to all of us, and there's a day of reckoning that comes. And when that day of reckoning comes, the pain, as we'll see in just a minute, is rough. You know, many of us can look back last year, and we have perfect hindsight. We've been told that hindsight is 2020. Right? We can look back and, and maybe we can look at, at where our decisions got off track and we know what happened and, and we can kind of diagnose that's the point where I stepped out of God's will. That's what I did when I shouldn't have. And, and what I did, I clearly see it, but a lot of times we think that maybe that's the answer is knowing where we went wrong. But the book of Lamentations teaches us that's not even enough. Just to be able to clearly know where you stepped off of the path doesn't answer how you get out of the mess that you're in. Diagnosing what we failed to do last year, where we messed up, doesn't answer the question of how we get out of the mess. It it doesn't answer the question of of whether or not there's a possibility of a brand new start, if we could have a a, a fresh start. It, It doesn't answer that for us. And so we might be able to understand where we stepped off, but here's the question, how can we be whole again? How can it be that God can work in our lives again? And can he really turn all things to be good? Can he really give us a fresh start? Well, the scripture says that there's a pathway to do that. And Jeremiah gives us a formula, I think, for living in a brand new day. And if we look closely at what he says in chapter 3, we'll discover that our next step might be in 2019, maybe a little different than we might have imagined. The amazing thing is that he writes this from a place of misery. And I want to just point that out. Jeremiah is not telling you how to get out of the mess from sitting off in a very comfortable house where he's got everything that he needs. He's sitting, what most people think, in a cave watching the city burn. He's sitting in the ashes of his own city when he writes this. But I want you to look back at verse 19 because what he writes is really instructive for us this morning. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. The idea of remembering in the Old Testament is really a familiar idea if you read it. A lot of the different Old Testament writers ask God to remember something. Now, they don't do this as if God ever forgets something. God doesn't forget anything, but it's a way of saying to the Lord, I am trusting in who you are and I'm asking you to remember something that you have said and I'm claiming it for myself. And that may seem strange to us to ask God to remember something, but that's exactly what Jeremiah does. He says, I'm looking back on something and I'm asking you to remember me where I'm at. Look down upon me and remember me, my affliction, my wandering. God hasn't forgotten it, but what he's saying is pretty important. Looking around at the sin of the nation and realizing what had happened, Jeremiah says, look at me and my affliction. The affliction. That's an interesting word, isn't it? 
Affliction is the hardship that he's enduring. It's the pain and the misery. Sin brings hardship with it, doesn't it? When you find yourself in broken relationships, there's hardship with that. When you make foolish decisions with your money, there's hardship with that, right? When you make a foolish decision at work, there's hardship with that that comes along with it. Sin brings hardship into our life. There's affliction with it. But then he says, remember my wandering. And wandering, that must have been one of the most painful words for Jeremiah to say. Because when he said wandering, it harkens back to when God called his people out of Egypt. And what did they do? They wandered for 40 years because they didn't obey the Lord. Their lack of obedience led to a wandering of 40 years. When God established this nation, they were a wandering people. They had nothing. And yet God had established them with land and resources and riches. And they were the envy of all the nations around them. And now they're a wandering people again. It's like he's saying, we're back at square one, Lord. It's horrible. Then look at these next two words, wormwood and bitterness. Wormwood is, is the word used of a root that people would drink. It had some medicinal purposes, but it was a horrible tasting thing. And what he's saying is, the taste in my mouth is awful right now. I hate it. I can't stand it. And this idea of bitterness, same word used as a poison to kill something. He's saying, look at me, I, I'm broken down. He knew he was sinking, and yet he also says, I'm bent down. That next word he says, I'm bowed down. That's the familiar expression for I'm depressed. I'm low. I can't get up from this Lord. If you can imagine it, a picture of it, what he's saying is I can't straighten up. I just feel like there's a weight on my back. And if you've ever had that, that, that feeling, or maybe you've carried that big load where you know every step is laborious. I mean, that's what he's saying. I can't straighten up. I'm bowed down within me. I'm low. He's experiencing the kind of grief that shakes you to the core. And you see it in the posture of his statement. But Jeremiah does something that's pretty amazing. When he was down, he looked up. He didn't look around for answers. He didn't say, well, you know what? I know where we've gone wrong and I'm going to do better. He did something amazing. He looked up. And when you get tired of living on your terms, when you get tired of living in the mess, when you get tired of making the same mistakes over and over again, what you don't do is say, well, I'm going to do better and I'll do this and I'll do... No, no, no. You stop and you just look up. And when you look up, it's amazing what happens. You see, many times we think that God doesn't want to have anything to do with us when we blow it. We think that, that, that God is done with us. We think that, that he's finished with us, that nothing can be restored, that we've crossed a line that's too far, and, and that's absolutely not true. Satan often comes and tells us a lie and says, you're not worth loving anymore. How could God love you? Look what you've done. You've blown it again, and that's not true. Jeremiah is crying out to the Lord, and that's where we have to start as well. When you can't do anything else, what you do is you look up. And after calling out to the Lord, Jeremiah does something that most of us fail to do when the world is coming undone around us. We'll do all sorts of things, but we fail to do this. He stops and he says, I have to think clearly. Most people get emotional, right? We get really sad, and, and he was sad, but he did something amazing. He says, I have to stop and think clearly. He's not relying on his emotion. Look at verse 21. He says, I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. He says, I recall something. This is a, a term that means to return. In, in fact, it means to go back with linear delineation to a point previously left. 
Imagine that. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this advice. I think about this all the time. People will tell you if you're walking in the woods and you get lost, don't go anywhere, just sit there. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard, right? And just to make sure that I'm not crazy, the U.S. Forest Service also does not advise that. Go to their website. Well, what am I going to do? I have no food. I have no shelter. I'm lost. I'm just going to sit down and hope that by, by some miracle, somebody walks up to me. No way. What do they tell you to do? Pinpoint a known location. Pinpoint a known location. That's exactly what he's doing. He says, I'm bent over. I can't see the way forward, but I'm going to look up. And all of a sudden, he says, I recall something. What he's doing is he's going back. He's going back to something that had been left. He's saying, I'm not going to stay over here. I need to think clearly to get out of this. And the way to do that is to go back to what I have known. It's not emotional for him. It's logical. The nation may have departed from the Lord, but they can go back. They're not in a hopeless state. They can go back to the state of living with the Lord. That's what he's understanding. I need to go back. And when I go back and recall these things that I know to be true about God, all of a sudden he says, I have hope. Hope seems to be in short supply these days. But that's, that's logical, right? If you're wanting hope to be a feeling and you just base it on what you feel, well, there's not a lot of hope. Do you have a lot of hope in our government today? We can't even open the national parks right now, right? We're in a stalemate. Do you have hope that things are just going to be better in 2019 because it's 2019 and not 2018? Do you have hope that things are just going to somehow turn around? That's not what he's talking about. He knew the one true God. And he says, we forgot it, but I'm going back. Because I know that hope is found in a person. The living God. I know that hope comes to us as New Testament believers in a person named Jesus Christ. That's where hope is found. We used to sing about it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? What, what is our hope this morning? Is our hope that we can somehow do the American thing and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and walk around puffed out like, uh, like a, a proud peacock that would say, I did this and I made things better? No, no, no. Go back to where you left. Hope is in the God who never changes. And when he has hope, look at what he finds. Verse 22, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. When he stopped looking at his own situation and began to think about the things that never changed, he saw three things that encouraged him. Three things that were at the bedrock of his faith. And when he saw it, it became really clear. Notice what he said. First, he recalled to mind what the Bible calls the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Or, or what your Bible may translate as the steadfast love of the Lord. And in other words, it's the thing that never changes about the Lord. God's love towards us never changes. And you know, the gospel of salvation actually consists of two very important things. And they're found in the cross of Christ. When you see the cross of Christ clearly, you begin to see these two things at work, and they're not mutually exclusive. It's the love of God for us and the wrath of God. 
They're not mutually exclusive. They are one and the same. The wrath of God put our sin on Jesus Christ and put it on the cross. But that's the love of God displayed, isn't it? That's what he's saying. God loves me. I know that God loves me. Now, now he's in the midst of something that is very, very difficult. But he understood that God loved him. In fact, he wrote in his own book, Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 11, For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you, for I will, I will de destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only I will not destroy you completely, but I will chasten you justly and will by no means leave you unpunished. What he's saying here is, I understand that even in the midst of this, even in the midst of what's going on, even though it's difficult and I feel like God's hand is upon me and pressing me down, why is he doing it? Because he loves me. Discipline loves. Discipline loves a child. When you love a child, you discipline a child. Why, why, why would you do that? For their good, right? When you love a child, you don't want them to harm themselves, so you, you discipline the child. When, when you love a child, you teach them about danger. And you just, that's what God is doing here. And he says, God's love for me, even though I feel like God's hand is upon me, I see it as God's love. And here's the good news for you. If you're here this morning, even though you may be brought low, even though it may feel like the weight of the world is on you and you feel like God's hand is pressing down upon you as he chastens you, it means that God's not finished with you yet. Feeling the weight of that means that God loves you. It means that God isn't finished with us yet. His offer for mercy to us is still in effect and we can experience his love today because his love is steadfast and it never ceases. The second thing that Jeremiah knows and he remembers again is this idea of the compassion of the Lord and how it never fails. God's compassion allows us to repent and be forgiven of our sin over and over and over again no matter how many times you've blown it. His compassion for us remains. That he would say to us, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Listen to what the book of Acts says in Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Well, that verse speaks so beautifully, doesn't it? About the compassion God has for us. If we would look to him this morning, we could really experience a brand new day and a fresh start. And in fact, the way that it says it there is that we could be refreshed. Have you ever had the experience of being so hot and so thirsty? I remember being with a group of people one time in Guatemala and we were doing some work and it must have felt like it was 150 degrees and all we had brought with us on the job site that day were some little power aids that were hot but he wasn't cutting it I couldn't drink it and when we got back to where we were staying we had cool water that night do you know what it's like to be refreshed to, to just know that feeling of the Lord's refreshing come upon you like a cold glass of water when you need it most. That's what he's saying. 
we can be refreshed. That God's compassions never fail. They allow us time and time again to keep coming back and keep repenting. But I think the most powerful part of Jeremiah's realization is the last thing he mentions in verse 23. When he says, The compassions and loving kindnesses of the Lord are new every single morning. Every morning. These compassions are new every morning. Now, maybe you've burned a bridge with someone or you've had a relationship where somebody just said, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't keep doing this. I can't work with you anymore. It's too much. I'm sick of you. God never says that. He woke up this morning ready for you. He woke up this morning ready with mercy and compassion and loving kindness, steadfast love for you, ready to give it to you. It, it's ready and waiting for us. He's ready for you to have a fresh start. He's ready uh, for you to take the next step. He's not done with you. He's not sick of you. And this caused Jeremiah to say, great is your faithfulness. The faithfulness of the Lord. That word uh, just speaks to the firmness and steadfastness of God. It means that God is trustworthy. Jeremiah is, Jeremiah is reminding himself and all of us that what you can do when you look to the Lord is trust him. You can bank on it. And I think that's the critical part of thinking biblically. Many of us really don't believe that we have a chance for God to take something terrible and make it good. We really wonder if God can make all things new. But the scripture says that that's, who, that's what he's in the business of doing. That's who he is. He is the God who is our rear guard and the one who goes before us. Maybe we find it hard to believe that God could love us after what we've done. But God does love us. And he's loved you with an everlasting love. And it's a love that doesn't get sick of you. It doesn't get tired of you. In fact, it's a love that allowed his own son to die in your place. What a blessing that is. To know that God would send his own son to die in our place, taking my sin and your sin, and to pay the debt that wasn't his. God proved on that cross all he ever needed to prove to you about his love. He's loved you with an everlasting love. As I was considering what was going to be preached about this week and thinking about the new year for myself, I finished my year's reading of Oswald Chambers' devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. And it's one of the books that we encourage you in our, one of our C3 classes, the Grow class. We've encouraged some of you to buy it and read it. It's a good book, great way to start your day with the Lord. And I want to read you a quotation from his December 31st. Uh, devotional, because I think it illustrates for us perfectly what we need to know going into a new year. Quoting, our yesterdays hold broken and irreversible things for us. It is true that we have lost opportunities that will never return, but God can transform this destructive anxiety into a constructive thoughtfulness for the future. Let the past rest, but let it rest in the sweet embrace of Christ. 
leave the broken, irreversible past in his hands and step out into the invincible future with him. Maybe 2018 has some broken and irreversible things in the past, but the future with God is invincible because he goes before us. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. We enter now into a time of response. Could it be that you came here this morning needing a brand new start, a fresh start? Could it be that when you look back at 2018 while others were celebrating, you were just glad it was over? I'm here to tell you that's exactly what Jeremiah says we can have. When you woke up this morning, God's compassion for you was brand new. It's not that God doesn't take our sins seriously, but what he does is allow us to find forgiveness in Christ. If you're a believer this morning, would you just take a moment and go before the Lord and make sure that you've called to him for forgiveness. Could it be that maybe someone in here, multiple people, have never known the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ? You've never given your life to him. The scripture says that you can be a child of the king if you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ, your hope in Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? It starts by looking up to him and asking him to forgive you of your sin. Asking him to make all things new. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's a promise. Would you turn your hope and your eyes to Jesus Christ this morning? In a moment, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to have what we call our invitation. And it's an invitation for us. Maybe to pray at the altar rededicating our lives in 2019 to the Lord Jesus Christ, his work and his service. Maybe coming forward to join our church or asking God to save you. By coming forward, you're not saved, but we would pray with you and love to counsel you about that so that you can know the God who so desperately wants to know you. Father, We commit our ways and our lives to you right now and ask that as we do this, you would move in our midst to make 2019 really come alive for us, for us to see the invincible future you have for us. We rest our past in the name of Jesus and we look to you, grateful for your mercy and loving kindness this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.